you know, we, we're talking about this uh, as we're in Colossians. We're talking about the series that we've called Transformed. Um, and, and that word transformation or transformed is this idea that we are just, we're completely different. Which is the Bible, the Bible teaches that because of Jesus Christ, we should live lives that are completely different than the way it used to be. The Bible uses illustrations such as we are a new creation now. You're a completely new being, a new creation. The old has gone and new things have come. And, and, and do you feel that way? Do you believe that? When you look at who you are in Jesus Christ because of your belief in him now, because he's come into your life, do you see yourself as a completely different being than you were before you knew Jesus? Has there been this transformation in your life or is it just kind of a little tweaking of the old you? You know, that, that, yeah, I've got a few little differences now that I'm a Christian. Now I show up to church. Now I don't cuss so much. You, you know, or has it really been a transformation of the way you think? Like everything is gone now. Everything is different now that Jesus has come into my life. That's what God is after. That's what he desires of us. It is that verse in, uh, when we hear that word transformed, we think of Romans 12, verse 2, uh, where it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, the Bible tells us don't conform to the pattern of this world. And something I've been noticing is I do a lot of things because everyone else does them this way. I just follow patterns. It's easy to follow a pattern, right? And there's a way, there are so many things that we do in America that are very American and we just think, well, that's the only way to do it because that's the pattern that's been set forth for me. And yet the Bible says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. But he wants our thinking to be different. He goes, I want you to transform your thinking. Think the way that God thinks. And then you'll be able to prove what his will is. Don't think about what everyone's doing, what the flow is doing. Think about what is God's perfect, pleasing will and start pursuing that. See, that's God's desire for our lives. That's his desire for his people. And and you guys, I used to uh, I used to read certain portions of the Bible and think, well, that was for back then. You know, we can't really do that today living in America. You know, I read about the early church and the way they they were so in love with each other and how they cared for one another. And go, well, you know what? They lived more communally back then and we're more of an individualistic society and this and that. And, and yet this week as I was studying Colossians and I was looking a little bit more at the background of this church, I realized that they lived in a pretty crazy culture also. That they were under the Roman Empire and there was a lot of pressure to just do as the Roman Empire tells you to do. That was a very strong empire. You know, people were worshiping Caesar, lifting up this leader and everything else. And then they had all this religious baggage and everything else from their, their previous religious traditions. And yet what God called them to do was don't follow that pattern. I want you to be different. I want you to live differently. And he's saying the same thing to us. So it doesn't matter that you're living in the 21st century. You think things are really that different now? People have always been about themselves, but I'm asking you not to follow that pattern. I want you to, to not think, well, how do Americans live? I want you to test out and figure out, here's the pattern I've set out for you. This has always been the pattern. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. I have a pattern for you, and it's in this book, so don't conform to the pattern of the world. 
We have traditions in this room that you guys were brought up in. In Baptist churches, evangelical churches, Catholic churches, Presbyterian churches, all these different churches. But have you really stopped to think, okay, what is really biblical? What do I really find the pattern in this book? And what have I done? Because it was just the way that I was raised. See, God says, don't just conform to these patterns. See, a lot of times I've just assumed that certain things we've done in church. Well, this is what all evangelical Christians do. And so... Let's just do it and let's do it a little bit better. And then you realize, wait a second, now let me just erase everything. And let me go back to this book and how does it say I ought to live? Because I'm supposed to be transformed in my thinking. It's supposed to be a whole new me. And the thing I want to talk about this morning is, okay, I, I've pretty much understood the thought that I, as an individual, am supposed to live differently than other individuals in the world. But what Paul talks about to the Colossian church here, starting in verse 11 of chapter 3, is different than that. He's not just telling you as an individual to live differently than the other individuals in the world. He is asking the church for us collectively to live differently than the way people live out there. That we are supposed to have a community that we together in this room live differently together as a family, as brothers and sisters. There's supposed to be relationships that we have in this room that are different and we're supposed to stand out collectively. And that's something that I've confessed before. I haven't really emphasized in the church um, enough and we're working on it. And that's why this, this message is so timely. You see, Todd last week talked about putting off a lot of the baggage, putting off a lot of the sins and things that we held so precious. And I, I hope you've done that. I hope the word of God has dwelt in you richly to where this week you, you saw those things that you've just held on to and you actually did something about it and you actually put it to death like the Bible teaches. And now this week he says, okay, and in addition to that, I want to see how you guys interact with one another this has got to be different. See, in verse 11 of, of Colossians 3, he says, Here, there's no Greek or Jew. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. There's no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and is in all. He says, in this room, there shouldn't be distinctions like there are out there. Okay, so if your boss is in this room doesn't matter. If your employees in this, it doesn't matter. Once you became a Christian, your identity was found in Jesus Christ. Christ is all now and he's in all. That, that's all that matters in this room. You see out there, we're judged, right? Based upon how attractive you are. Braces in this room, that, that shouldn't be taking place. Out there, we're, you're, you're judged by how rich you are. And so you got these different, you know, people are just a little bit more important if they have a little more money. No, no, not here. Intelligence, athleticism, popularity, fame, whatever it is, those things. We've got to lay that all aside in this room and go, no, in here, Christ is all. He's everything. There's no Christian attorneys, Christian doctors, Christian plumbers, just Christians. That, that, that's all in this room. There's no distinction. We're, we're just all a bunch of people, a bunch of sinners that thank God we were saved by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. 
And that's where we find our identity. So he, he says, you know, the way you guys live, it needs to be different. It needs to be a picture to the world of this is what it is. It, it, it's like in, in my family and with my kids. I, I've got four kids. Rachel, my oldest, she's the most talented. Mercy is the most intelligent. Ellie is the most entertaining. And Zeke is the most male. And... <laughs> And yet in that, in my house, they know, okay, in dad's eyes, you know what? I, I love you all equally. And if, if one of them wants to rub it into the others, well, you know, I'm a little more important because I'm more talented. As dad, I make sure they realize, no, you're not that great. You know, stop thinking so highly of yourself. You're no greater than your sister. You're no greater than your brother. You know, and in the same way, the father wants us to look in this room and see his children not making any type of distinction in this room. No one's better than one another. No one's more important than the next person. It's, it's just different in here. We're just blown away by what Christ did. See, see, look at this next verse. I'm going to put it actually on the screen. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because as God's chosen people, okay, we're, we're, we're God's people. God chose us. God elected you. And he's chosen us to be this family here as God's chosen people. But, but here's the phrase that got me. When it says, holy and dearly loved. Because I was studying this in my office and I just had to put my Bible down. When I read those two descriptions holy and dearly loved i just had to put it down and just worship i just those words hit me so hard this week i just started praying i was just like god you call me holy and dearly loved i don't want that to ever get old to me think about this god calls you holy despite what you did this week despite what you've done in your lifetime and he knows it all and he looks at you and says, but I don't see that because you believe that Jesus took that on the cross. Remember Colossians 2, how he nailed it to the cross. And he's forgiven us of all of that and, and how we switch places that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Why? So that we could become what? The righteousness of God. He sees me as righteous. He sees me like he saw Jesus totally blameless, spotless. Wait, but all my junk of all the past, you don't see any of that? You just see me as holy? Yeah, that's what he says. I'm one of God's chosen. I'm holy now because I believe what Jesus did on that cross. And when God looks at me, when I die and I stand before him, all he's going to see is perfection. Holy. And just thanking God, go, God, I cannot believe it. I'm thinking about this again. You see me as holy. And not only that, but then dearly loved. And it took me a long time to really accept that expression. To go, wow, God, I'm dearly loved by you. You dearly love me. Holy and dearly loved. Man, do you just pass by words like that in Scripture or do you stop and go, this is amazing. I mean, what else matters right now other than that the Creator, the Almighty God who sits on His throne up in heaven right now looks down at me and says, perfection, and man, I love Him. 
man, I hope that evokes some sort of worship in you. And this week you think of yourself and realize, man, that's where we find our identity now in this room. So why do I care if I'm more popular than someone else or more attractive? What I care about is that I'm holy and I'm dearly loved. And God sees us as that. And that's what he sees in this room, which is a bunch of kids that he has purified. And he looks at and goes, man, I love you. I love you guys. I love you. You're my children. Holy and dearly loved. And what they ought to see is that we are clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's that's like our clothing. The first thing they should see when people walk in this room is a bunch of people that are so compassionate, so kind, so forgiving, so humble, so patient, so gentle. That's us. It's different. And and he calls us God's chosen people. And that's a very important word because, like I said, this is where I've screwed up in the past. Is uh, is God in the Old Testament, he wanted to call out a people for himself, right? And who was that? The Jews. Israel. Israel. The Bible talks a lot about Israel. God wanted Israel collectively to be a light to the world, right? He wanted to bless the world through Israel as a nation. And the focus wasn't so much on Israelite individuals. It was about this nation, this group of people. And he goes, I want you to live differently than the culture around you. I want you to, I, I, he even had them eat different, dressed, I, me, he had them do so many things different. He wanted them as a people to be distinguished. He wanted to call out a people for his own name. And in the New Testament, it really hasn't changed. I mean, now he's saying, look, I want the church The church body, this group of people, this holy and dearly loved chosen people to live differently than the peoples of the world. I don't care what your culture is like. Here's what I've called you as a group of people to live like. Here's a pattern that I've set out for you. See, and and I got so caught up in American Christianity because I'm an American and as an American, it's all about me. It's all about individualism. It's about, you know what? I will take care of myself. I don't need help. So I've got everything saved up for me and my family. We're good. And so in my Christianity, I really have thought the same way. I mean, and, and I've also misunderstood the goal that God had for me. See, I I was raised just being taught that, well, to be a good Christian, you avoid the major sins, right? Stay away from major sins and have a good personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I can do that and I don't need your help. I really don't. I can live a holy life without you. I, I can avoid the major sins without your help. In fact, very few people, if anyone, really helps me live a holy life. I don't need you. I can do that on my own. That accountability thing doesn't really work for me anyways because I can lie. You know, I, I mean, to me, it's just it's always been like this weird thing of, of, of you know, accountability is assuming that the other guys aren't going to lie in your group. And it's like, well, I know Francis, he might commit adultery, but he won't lie about it. Does that make sense? And it's just this whole idea of no, no, what keeps me pure is I got to stand before this God. And there's a holy God in heaven. And man, when I get before him daily, throughout the day, man, he knows everything about me. That's what keeps me on this right path. And so as far as a relationship with him, I don't need you to tell me to pray. 
I enjoy talking to God. I depend on it. I, 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 that's my lifeblood. And so I don't really need you. And that's been my mentality. And, and honestly, in some ways, I've taught that you would be this independent Christian, independently dependent on God. And yet, and I know some of you, when you come into the church, that's your mindset too. It's like, I just want to, I just want to come in. I just want to hear some words that'll help me spiritually. And that's why I come to church. I don't come to be in these relationships and to be interdependent on other people. And you guys, yet that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, if you want to please me, then God says there's certain things you have to do together in order to please me. And so the truth is, is if the goal of my life is to please God, the only way I can please him is if I have right relationships with you and we become interdependent on each other and we truly become a body, a family. We need to do that. Otherwise, God's not pleased. See, in, the, in verse 13, and I don't have it on the screen, but verse 13, Colossians 3, it says something very, very important. First, first two words, bear with each other. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. The words bear with, you know what it literally means? It means put up with. Put up with each other. You know why? Because... You're going to bug me, I'm going to bug you. That's just what we do. You ever have anyone just not bug you at all? We, we, we just, we bug each other. And he says, put up with each other, bear with each other. And that's so different. This is such an important point. I don't want to miss this one. Because the world teaches us the opposite. Our society teaches us the opposite. Our society teaches us when someone bugs you too much, you ditch them. Right? <laughs> I mean, what do you do? I mean, you're really going to hang out with that same friend that's really been bugging you lately? Just ditch them. Stop calling them back. You got other friends, right? You just ditch them. You just move on. We're taught that about everything. That's just that's just our culture. Man, what do you do when you don't like this church anymore? Yeah, you ditch us and go. There's plenty of other churches. Go to another one. Some of you ditched another church to come here, right? <laughs> hey, right? A lot of you think about all the churches you've ditched and now you're here. And one day you'll ditch us. You'll ditch me. You'll find some pastor that's younger and sexier. And, you know, I see the way you look at other churches. And some of you, man, you, you've ditched. Some of you have ditched us and you came back, didn't you? You knew he couldn't love you like I do. Man, I've given some of you the best years of my life. But you'll ditch me because that's it's just the American thing to do. Right? Husbands, ditch your wives. Wives, ditch your husbands when it gets too bad. Kids, now they ditch their parents. They run away and they'll find another family. Parents, ditch their kids. We just ditch. Kobe's going to ditch the Lakers. You know? <laughs> It's just, this is, this is what we're taught. And yet, what does the Bible say? He goes, put up with each other. Bear with each other. He goes, see, that's the way the rest of the world is living. When you come together, there's no distinctions and you stick with one another because you're a people. 
You're God's chosen people. So bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have. Whatever grievances. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, it's easy to forgive here and there. But when he says forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you think it's easy? I mean, think about how many times God has put up with you. And he's saying, I want you to forgive in that same way. In fact, Matthew 6, 15 says, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father is not going to forgive you your sin. So here, when he says forgive as you've been forgiven, as the Lord forgave you, it's about this community where it's like we don't ditch each other in this room. We can't. We got to We got to stick this thing out. We got to bear with each other. And we got to stop this consumer Christianity, consumer American Christianity of I'm just going to go to whoever offers me the best program. And when I get tired of this, I'll move on to, to another team. The Bible, I, I mean, this whole idea, this love each other, bear with each other, forgive whatever you have against one another. You know how many times that word one another is in Scripture? One another, one another, one another. Uh, Love one another, John 13. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12:10. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12:16. Stop passing judgment on one another, Romans 14:13. Accept one another, Romans 15:7. Instruct one another. Greet one another, Romans 16:6. 6. Agree with one another, 1 Corinthians 1:10. Serve one another, Galatians 5:13. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4:32. Speak to one another, Ephesians 5:19. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. Don't slander one another, James 4.11. Live in harmony with one another, 1 Peter 3.8. Offer hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. The list goes on. One another, one another, one another, one another. Bear with each other and do these things with one another. And so if you come in here saying, I just want to come and just get something for myself and grow in my relationship with God, I'm saying you, you, you can't. That's not the way it works. God wants a body. God wants his people. In fact, this is this is amazing when he says over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. He wants us to love each other so much that there becomes a perfect unity. And here's what's amazing. I, I've shared this verse before. Um, Jesus prayed this for the church. He, he prays. This is before he, he just told his disciples, hey, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then he prays this prayer for them. And it's really a fascinating prayer in John 17. And in verse 23, he says something so peculiar. He says, I and them, he's talking to the Father, I and them, you in me, may they, that's us, may they be brought to complete unity. He goes, my, my prayer, Father, is I want these people to be brought to complete unity. But what's weird is why? Why does God want us to be in perfect unity? Why did Jesus pray that we have complete unity? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. What? See, that logically doesn't make sense in my mind. That Jesus said that 
God, bring them to complete unity because when the church is somehow united and comes to complete unity, then the world will believe that Jesus was sent by God. And then the world will believe that God loves them. See, that doesn't seem to go together. That doesn't seem to work in a geometric formula where I go, okay, yeah, A plus B equals, I don't know, is that geometry or is that algebra? I don't know. The Chinese guy. But anyways, it, it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be like a, an equation that seems to fit. Like how does our unity cause people to believe that Jesus was sent by God? How does our unity somehow show the world that God loves them? I don't get it, really, but I believe it. Because Jesus said that. See, because when someone wants me to prove to them that Jesus really was sent from God, I go to prophecy. I go to the Old Testament. I lay it down and I go, look, look at what Daniel said. Look what Isaiah said. Look at these people who wrote hundreds of years before. Go to Israel. Look at the Dead Sea Scrolls yourself. Those are dated by secular historians. They admit, you know what, this was written way before the time of Christ. And here's what they predicted. So how could they have gotten that right? See, that proves to you that Jesus is the Messiah. Because how do you get around these things? These are facts. And the Bible says that's not what's going to convince people. In my mind, I go, wait, but that has to be because everything's about logic. Everything's about intelligence, isn't it? And we can just reason people into believing in Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. I didn't pray that the people would understand their apologetics. I, I pray that they would be unified because somehow, somehow there's a power when we are united as a body that will cause the world to believe. And so many people, they go, man, look at the church. They're no different from me. That's why they don't believe. Look at the church, how they're so fragmented. How could they be right? That's why they don't believe. It's not all the facts. And sure, we can talk apologetics and I still love doing that. But the truth is, is until we're united, it's not going to happen. That next verse, verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ, this is what should be ruling in this room, not, he says, forgive whatever grievances. There shouldn't be these little petty things in this room. We need to forgive all of that stuff and the peace of Christ should rule in our hearts. Why? Because as members of one body, we were called to peace. There's that body analogy again. We were called to peace. I got this thing in my pocket. You ever see one of these? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense on its own. You guys kind of go, okay, what, 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 is, what is that? It only makes sense when you have a... The, the rest of him. And now it's like, oh, okay, that's me. This is actually Mrs. Potato Head because I got mainly girls and I don't want them playing with male parts. And uh, so here's, here's Mrs. Potato Head. And suddenly when you put the ear in there, it's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. And now suddenly here's, here's what, I mean, forgive the illustration. It's, it's just, that's what God wants to show the world. Okay. I'm getting ready for when the kids start being in service. I got to bring things out like this. It, it, it's this it's idea of this is what God wants to show the world is this complete picture. Because when they see that, they're like, okay, that makes sense. But what we have right now is we've got that over there. And what, what I've even encouraged sometimes and my mindset was, hey, I'm fine. 
I am totally fine here. I don't need church to have a relationship with God. Have you heard that before? I don't need church to have a relationship with God. In fact, many of you that are watching on television, that's why you're watching on television, right? Because you have this mindset of, I don't need church to worship my God. I don't need church to have a relationship. Yeah, you don't need God to have, you don't need the church to have a relationship with God. But if you're serious about pleasing God, if you're serious about honoring God, yeah, you need to be a part of the church. Because you're not fulfilling all these one another's. God never intended you to stand alone like this. It doesn't make any sense, does it? The Bible says, look, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. It, it can't do that. You're a body. An ear can't stand off on its own and say, you know what? I, don't, I really don't need anyone. You know, I can just use my gift on my own. People tell me I'm a good listener. They, they, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever else. And so I, I don't need the rest of this body. And yet the Bible's saying, no, 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 no. To please God, if you want to please God, he says, this, this is how I want you to be a witness. It's not just, well, I can be a witness on my own. I can, I can, I can you know, I, I can do all these things by myself. No, you can't. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't have all these one another's and bearing with one another. The truth is, is you're unwilling to be a part of this body. And I've done this. Man, a lot of times when I visit churches, I mean, I don't really go to church to connect with people. I go to church to work my own individual relationship with God. And if I asked you when you walk in the doors, why would you come? You would say to work in my relationship with God. And many of you, honestly, you don't want to be connected with other people because it's easier to be alone. It's easier to just walk in your own relationship with God. But I'm just telling you, it doesn't please God. That's never been his desire. In fact, this is something that's, uh, that's burdened the elders so much. You realize that this week... The elders of this church, we, we met together every night, three hours a night, every night, because we saw this problem in the church, this issue in the church. And we prayed every night for this issue, going, you know, this is what the Bible says, that there's supposed to be this interconnectedness and there's so much one another's and Cornerstone really isn't known for that. It's known for what's what goes on up front that's directed to you, whatever programs we have, but it's not about this interaction and therefore, God's not pleased. He wants us to be connected to one another somehow for this to be a body. And so we prayed, we worked on it. And honestly, we don't have a whole lot of solutions. We prayed, we, we looked at ourselves and said, OK, are we unified? Even in this room, we brought our wives in. Are we all good? Are we going to live like the New Testament? Just just us as leaders, even. Are we going to live like they did in Acts where, hey, what, what's mine is yours? Look, here's the keys to my house. Here's the keys to my car. You know what? It's it's we're all family here. We look out for each other. Are we committed to this? And then can we start spreading it to the rest of the church somehow? Because even as as parents, is it your goal just to raise kids that are independently successful, to, that ignore each other the rest of their lives and say, oh, yeah, I'd be happy as long as they're they're all successful. I don't care if they talk to each other ever again. I don't think that's any of our hearts as parents. Wouldn't you love to, to know your kids grew up loving each other? And even after you were long gone, they still loved each other. And they looked out for each other and said, look, you're my brother for life. And I'll always take care of you. And you'll never starve. If you starve, I starve with you. Wouldn't it be awesome to have kids like that? What do you think the father wants? He wants us to have individual relationships with him? Or does he want to see his kids really looking out for each other and saying, look, 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 we're family now. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of what the Father did for us, we're family now. 
And we're going to interact with each other. And I'm going to love with you. And I'm going to stick with you. We're going to bear with you. I'm going to forgive you of anything. We're family to work together like that. And, and so understand, yeah, we don't know how this is going to work with such a big group and everything else. We're still trying to figure out how do we get people in community to really love each other and to work with one another. But, but, but don't say, well, the church hasn't figured out the program yet, so it's kind of the church's fault that I don't love anyone. You guys, it's, that's, that's what we like to do. We like to blame. You know, it's like the Adam and Eve. Well, that's that woman you gave me. I was totally fine. And then that woman, she messed things up. And in the same way, there's this new generation rising up, seeing the faults of the church, and they're going, yeah, it's that church's fault. You know, that's not going to fly in the end when you stand before God. Because the church never stopped you from loving the person sitting next to you or the person in the row behind you. You stopped yourself. You just refused to. Because you come in and it's for yourself, for you, and you don't feel like loving anyone else. You don't feel like getting along with anyone else. Man, I've done that. I've gone to church going, man, I don't really feel like connecting. I got enough relationships. The last thing I need is another friend. And you just go when you do your thing and you don't want to be connected to this body. You don't want to love the person next to you. There's nothing that's stopping you from asking the person next to you, how are you doing? You're hurting financially. As you get to know them, you can just empty out your wallet for them. No one's stopping you from doing that. No one's stopping you from loving someone else's kids as much as your own. That's that's what the Bible's called us to do. And he's saying, man, if you guys could live this way, then the world's going to start believing this. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. There's that one another again that I'm not just supposed to be the one teaching here. You're supposed to be teaching one another. I'm not just supposed to be encouraging you to do these things, admonishing you when, when, you're, when you're off in some area. You're supposed to be doing that to each other. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart to God. That's why we sing together, because the Bible tells us to. This is in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is what God wants. That in whatever we do, we do it all in the name of Jesus. We don't do things because it's a pattern that we learned. We do it because of Jesus. We do it because it's a pattern set out in Scripture. One of the patterns that's set out in Scripture is for us to take communion together. Right? 